Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters, a.k.a. the Ant Hill. Uh, we're going to have a great show today. It's episode 707, and it is July 21st, 2011, and today we have with us, hanging on, waiting to come talk to us, Stephen Harris, CEO of Knowledge Publications. Stephen is the most switched-on guy I could find. A listener, I don't know who you are, but a listener out there got in touch with him, said, hey, get in touch with Jackie, he's looking for a biogas guy, and he did. And whoever you were, thank you, and let me know who you are, because... I've got something for you for making the connection because it was that big a deal. I love when the audience brings people together with TSP and we get something really awesome. Uh, the interview you're about to hear was actually recorded yesterday. So I've got some interesting information today in the housekeeping section about Stephen's company that I didn't get on the air during the interview. So hold tight through the housekeeping if you usually skip it. But what you're going to hear today are different ways and different resources to produce your own energy in ways you probably have never thought of. Absolutely awesome, awesome interview. Before we bring Stephen on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, Ready Made Resources. What more can you ask from a company than for them to say, this is our name? Our name is what we do, and then they do it. That's what Ready Made Resources does. They provide all the resources you need for your prepping, and I mean everything. From gardening to long-term food stores to tactical gear. Uh, you name it, 12-volt products for your solar and wind uh, uh, projects. Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it at Ready Made Resources. Great prices, great shipping, great service, and all you need ready to go. Just show up, click, order, and it'll come to your house. How great is that? Next up today, BulkAmmo.com. The other precious metal, copper jacketed lead. You'll find that at Bulk Ammo. You'll find great pricing. The shipping is lightning fast. It's almost scary how quick you like. You order and like you get it. Like here it comes. And, and, you know, I mean, it's amazing to me that they run that efficient of an operation, especially at the thin margins they must be selling at, because it's some of the best pricing I've seen on ammo out there. Um, and whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it there. But they really specialize in, you know, what we call the common calibers, your 40 Smith & Wesson, your 9 millimeter, your 223, your 308, that type of stuff. Uh, so check out BulkAmmo.com today. Again, great service, great pricing, lightning fast shipping. What more could you ask for? Uh, next up today... Remember to connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I want to announce I have a new video out this morning of game camera footage. This time it's still photos, but I blended them together and uh, took out a lot of the redundant ones and put some music to it. And it really came out kind of cool. And uh, you get to see some really cool deer. I can't believe what's in my backyard now. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Four different bucks, some raccoons, and even a mountain rabbit showing up just before daybreak to grab a little corn. So check out my YouTube channel if you haven't done so in a while. Uh, also on YouTube, remember if you're a subscriber, 
YouTube made a change a while ago, and if you were already a subscriber, any channel you were subscribed to, you stopped getting email updates about, whenever you're watching my video, even if you're subscribed, it'll say subscribed, right? Well, click on that, and it'll drop down. You can click a box, and you'll get an update by email from YouTube every time I release a new video on my channel if you want to make sure you stay in touch with them really quick. I also want to remind you today to you know get in touch with our community through our forum. It's amazing the connections you can make there. There's a tremendous amount of knowledge and resources waiting for you, and it's really the heart of the TSP community. Last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. If you do that, you get exclusive content available only to members, including discounts to lots of vendors. And this is what I wanted to talk about a little bit before I bring Stephen on. When I got done with uh, interviewing him yesterday, I realized how much he had available. You know what I did? I hit him up for you guys in the MSB. I said, look, man, there's there's a, a ton of members that support this show financially that are going to love what you're going to do, and they're going to want to do business with you. Uh, and they're, if they're part of my supporting members brigade, I want a discount for them. And I explained to the program, one-year commitment, all that jazz. He said, fine, I can't discount everything in my store because the things like the stoves and the, the bigger, bulky physical products I already sell at such a thin margin, I can't do it. But all the books, all the DVDs and downloadable videos uh, that I sell on my site, so books, DVDs, videos, I will do a 15% discount on. So he set up a discount code. It's already in the MSB. So if you're an MSB member today and you hear him mention a book or a video or something you want to get your hands on, make sure you get your discount. Because, I mean, I hit him up as soon as we close the interview for you guys. So, and if you're considering joining the MSB and you've been wondering, you know, what kind of benefits you get, little, little advertisement here before I bring Steven on. This is the kind of vendor that I hit up for you. It's, I checked out today. It's now 29 vendors that you get discounts to, whole bunch of other stuff. So that wraps up the housekeeping. All right, folks, and as I said during the introduction segment, we are fortunate to have with us today Stephen Harris, who is uh, uh, an expert in biogas, among many other things, and the CEO of uh, Knowledge Publications. Stephen's a consultant and an expert in the field of energy. He's the founder and CEO, as I said, of uh, Knowledge Publications, the largest energy-only online uh, or uh, lar largest energy-only publishing company in the USA. Uh, Mr. Harris came to his current position to do full-time work on the development and implementation of hydrogen biomass and solar related energy systems after spending 10 years in the aerothermal dynamics department of the scientific labs of Chrysler Corporation where he was a pioneer member of a group that developed and implemented successful speed to market development concepts and that all means he's a really switched on guy and I had a lot of questions about uh, biogas and I've, just from uh, preliminary conversation I've already learned things I had no idea about And he's here today to uh, help us all learn how we can make this part of what we're doing in our lives for preparedness and just to live a better life all together. Hey, Steve, welcome to the show, and thanks for being with us today. Hey, I'm glad to be here. And not to mention about making things better for your life, this stuff is just pure fun and neat. Yeah, um, you know, I basically saw... Some folks doing, uh, uh, we're going to talk about two different types of ways to do this today, but they were doing something kind of like this, and they, you know, they basically created this little pressure vessel for it, and they lit a flame and, and fired up an old stove, and I started talking about it, and some listeners said to me, you know, well, what do you have to do with appliances to get them more? They started asking me all these questions I didn't know, uh, so I sent the troops out, and one of them found you an expert, so... Uh, let, let's talk about that and how we can do these things today. But first, can you tell folks just maybe a little bit about yourself uh, beyond the bio I just gave them? Well, if I'd known that bio was going to be read over the radio <laughs> to so many people, I probably would have spent a little bit more time writing it. But it, it's a good description of uh, my background. I've been in the energy field. People ask me, when did you get interested in energy? And I'd say, well, second grade. 
And uh, I pursued energy all through my uh, collegiate education. And even when I was a development engineer at Chrysler Corporation, I spent a great deal of work even consulting on the side in the, in the energy field, doing research and development in the energy field, as well as getting every chance I could to play with the electric vehicle group when EVs were in their infancy back in the 90s. Uh, and other such areas. Uh, so I basically live, eat, and breathe energy. When I left uh, the corporation, Chrysler Corporation, in around 2000, I went in, out as an independent consultant into the energy field, consulting on fuel cells, hydrogen production, hydrogen generation and storage, high-temperature solar, thermal work, uh, biomass gasification, the conversion of biomass over to a hydrogen-rich uh, fuel is one of my specialties. And I... I built up this great library of books because I was always a bookworm. And people kept on asking me about this book and that book and what's a good one for this. I'm going, hey, there's a market for this. So I started Knowledge Publications, which turned out to be knowledgepublications.com. And we publish, license, and or write and our author and publish DVDs on the best subjects you never heard about energy. And it's all DIY hands-on. Uh, our main website is ush2.com, like Uniform Sierra Hotel 2.com, which stands for United States Hydrogen. It's a little hard to read over the air, so for any of you listeners who you know have, don't have a chance to write this down, you really want to see everything we're talking about on the show tonight. You can just go to solar1234.com, and you'll have all the show notes and all the stuff that uh, Jack and I are talking about. But, um, yeah, Knowledge Publications has been going since about 2006 on a hard and heavy scale, and we have about uh, 65 books and DVDs that we author and we publish and we reproduce on from solar to wind to biomass. I got the biggest collection of biomass gasification books there are to make a fuel cell in your kitchen, to hydrogen production, hydrogen storage, uh, how to run your car off of hydrogen. I don't mean HHO junk. I mean real bottled compressed hydrogen uh, and other fuels, natural gas, um, propane, et cetera. I have a pickup truck. You can see the video on our link to our YouTube site, me driving the truck around off of natural gas from a, from a balloon. And natural gas is a close cousin to the biogas that you were talking about. You'll see me running uh, my Honda generator off of natural gas in a, in a weather balloon floating over the generator. Um, I can pretty much answer a great deal of all your questions you're going to have today about uh, not only biogas, which is methane from anaerobic digestion, but there's another biogas called uh, biomass gasification, which is what used to power one million vehicles. One million vehicles drove on uh, wood gas, quote-unquote, from a wood gasifier that was on the front or rear of, of the vehicle during World War II, and this was in Austria as well as Australia and Germany and Great Britain. Yeah. And, uh, it's been used for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm completely blown away. I'm already seeing Stephen Harris part two and three on the survival podcast because I know we're not going to, no way in an hour we're going to cover the, the, the depth of knowledge you have. And I think my listeners 
are going to latch on to you as one of our new favorite guests, honestly, because just what you're saying already just has me intrigued and excited. Um, before we kind of go deep into that, though, one of the things in your, your guest survey you filled out was something you're working on called Project Destiny, and I thought that was really cool. Could you tell people a little bit about that, and then we'll get into some meat and potatoes. Project Destiny is the large-scale implementation of real solar energy that will put this country, that'll basically let the Arabs, you know, sell sand instead of sell oil. I mean, it's to get this country back onto energy independence, and, it's, it's, and it has to deal with the development of large-scale solar energy. And this is, we're talking about concentrators that are 30 feet in diameter, we're talking about a thousand square feet of useless desert now turned into a solar energy farm. And it's for the production of hydrogen as well as electricity. It can make methane. It can make the whole variety of, of chemistry regarding energy. And it's a project between myself and Roy McAllister. And we're going to implement this. We are going to do this. And we're going to end up doing it with our own private money which is why we founded Knowledge Publications, was to finance our own research and development because we got tired of dealing with the financial idiots who wanted to come in and invest and take the thing over. They just didn't get it. So, I mean, real large-scale solar energy that can put this country on energy independence is truly 100% possible. In fact, half the technology we're using is pre-World War I technology. You know, that's what's blown me away. I, I had no idea how much of this stuff was going on 80 years ago. And it's just like people figured out that oil was, you know, pro I wouldn't say easy, but profitable to refine, and you could sell it cheap in the mind of the consumer, and all of it just went out the window. Um, yeah, and then there's the thing that I call the worst thing that ever happened to the solar industry, which is solar photovoltaic pa panels. I hate solar PV panels with a passion when it comes to the philosophy of solar energy because they think they're, they're this great be-all, end-all thing, and you can never, ever get your energy back on a solar PV panel in anything less than 15 years in prime desert sunshine because it takes so much energy to make uh, the, the polycrystalline cell that you just don't have enough time in the sun to get the energy back. Basically, you're making the cells with nuclear energy, most of it from Japan, uh, to grow the silicon, to, to be cut into wafers, to then be treated to make the cells that you see in your solar panel, and you're just moving them, moving that energy someplace where you have sunshine, and basically just getting it back. So that, that's interesting, and it's I, I, I've always had an issue, but I didn't know a better way. But I've always had an issue with how long the payback is. So that's a great setup into one of the questions you wanted me to ask you today, which is. What is the best use of real solar energy that everyone can use, you know, in a disaster or even every day? I'll tell you, it's so darn easy, and it's fully documented in my book called, uh, this book I wrote called Sunshine to Dollars. And I titled that specifically because I want you to realize how easy it is to take sunshine and to convert it right into dollars. In the book, I detail some of the best thermal solar stuff, solar heaters, solar hot water heaters, you can imagine, and here is how simple it is. In a disaster, what do you need? You need clean water. And also for your comfort, you need hot water. So if you raise water to above 160 degrees for 10 minutes, you've now pasteurized it and killed most of the pathogens. And if you bring up the near boiling temperature, of course you're even going to get the spores after 10 or 15 minutes. 
And you can do that. I mean, I did this in Michigan sunshine in the fall, and it got to 185. You go take a door, any door, like a wood door or foam core door, and you lay the thing down. You go find some 2x4s from the building that was blown over with your saw, and you cut a 2x4 frame out, and you screw it together around the top of the door. So you got the door, you got the 2x4s and a frame on top of the door. You lay down some black plastic, like some 4 mil black plastic from Home Depot, and then you go find yourself uh, a sliding glass door, which is dual-layer tempered glass. And you take that glass, and you just lay it on top of the 2x4 frame with the black plastic underneath of it. Before you do that, you fill it with about 15 gallons of water. And in no time, I'm talking an hour uh, or less or more, depending upon your sunshine, you will have water so hot it will scald you. I mean, it's nothing for it to get to 185 in Michigan in the fall. You're talking about summertime and hurricane zone and everything else. You're going to have water that's hot and pasteurized that you can then cool down and drink, and or you can then cool down a little bit and you can use for washing uh, yourself for comfort purposes. Uh, if it's a colder climate, you can take the water and put it in, in, into some two-liter uh, soda bottles and wrap it up with you at night underneath your blankets and stay warm. Uh, real solar energy is solar heat and solar thermal and you have to work hard to make it not to not to happen because the sunshine will fall and it will heat stuff up. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but even photovoltaic, basically that's what it really is doing is converting the heat into energy, but no. it's taking kind of a long way around, isn't it? No. No. Photovoltaic, no? Does, no. photovoltaic actually uses the photons of light from the sunshine uh, hitting uh, the polycrystalline, and it is knocking loose electrons and those electrons are then beginning to flow. It is, uh, it, is, it is a photovoltaic process. So it's completely independent of temperature. It could be zero degrees Celsius, and it would still do the same thing. Correct. Okay. Correct. It, it, would, it would do that. And on a side note, I have a book from that I republished called Solar Heat from 1903. Wow. That shows a printing press in France called the Sunshine Press running off of a solar concentrator. It's running off of solar steam, and, and that's how they printed their publication every week was with sunshine, and it was called the Solar Press. And that's detailed in my book from 1903 called Solar Heat. There will be a link on solar1234.com that will send you to ush2.com to get it if you're interested. But I republished that book to show people that solar energy is not a new thing. It's an old thing. It's been used for a long time, and it can be used with today's manufacturing and research and development abilities quicker and easier if we just get off of this distraction of politicalness regarding energy as well as the photovoltaics. We can get to real solar energy. Wow. Um I wanted to talk to you about biogas, and there's kind of like, you know, biogas is made by the sun, I guess, is, is some of the stuff you're talking about here. Can you explain to people kind of what you were t we were talking about before the interview started about the two ways there are to make biogas for fuel and energy use and kind of just the difference between the two? Because I think there's, like, I was thinking one way, and you've already given me a much better way, so let's clue the audience in on that. Well, uh, to answer your first question, everything with a carbon atom in it is made by, by 
by the sun. Okay, if you're made from the sun, your clothes, if they're polyester or cotton, are made by the sun. So you could say, yeah, biogas is made by the sun because it grew the organic material that was either digested through an animal and or just grown and put into the biogas reactor to make the methane or the hydrogen and carbon monoxide. So basically there's two ways of making biogas, and they're completely different. The first one is the one that you were referring to in your original discussion, where you take like a 55-gallon drum, you fill it full of manure or manuring grass clippings or manuring leaves, and you close it off and put a hose coming off of it. Uh, that will go through three days of aerobic with oxygen digestion and produce nothing but CO2. Then once all the oxygen is consumed in the barrel and in the water that's in the barrel, it goes through anaerobic digestion, which means without air. And anaerobic bacteria, when they feed upon the carbon-based um, energy source, the carbon-based waste material that's in your barrel or your digester, uh, it produces methane. It breaks down the compounds and produces methane and a little bit of carbon dioxide. And this is what you run to your uh, lantern or to your stove, or you can compress and use your car. Um, it's been used in China for decades, if not centuries. And, and when you do that, just real quick, because I'm a little confused on this, because you got those three days of producing CO2. Right. Are we doing something to vent that CO2, or is that CO2 part of why the methane concentration is lower there than with, with say, natural gas? Because it's like 60% versus 95%. No, you just vent it. You, just you vent it, it, so you do vent you it. Ran it through an airlock and vent it. There's nothing you can, you can do with it. Okay. Uh, that's just the the uh, oxygen-based bacteria consuming everything in there, and then the oxygen is gone, and then the bacteria that don't use oxygen, the anaerobes, take over and start digesting. This is exactly what's done in a wastewater treatment plant. Wastewater treatment plants are generally almost completely self-powered off of the methane they, they produce from yours and my waste that flows through the sewers and goes to them. So this is one operation of making biogas. Another way of making biogas is called biomass gasification. And this is a high-temperature process where you are partially burning uh, wood and or organic material. Now, everyone knows that a, a fire gives off carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide is a wonderful fuel. It burns beautifully. So a, a biomass gasifier what it does is it optimizes the partial combustion of anything you put in there to produce hydrogen and carbon monoxide because all organic material is made up of hydrogen, carbon, and oxygen. So when but you, I thought hydrocarbons were bad. This is this is an organic <laughs> material. This is this is not a hydrocarbon. A hydrocarbon is nothing but carbon and hydrogen. Nothing else. Thus hydrocarbon. And all organic materials are made up of at least carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Like cellulose is C6H12O6. Um, sorry, cellulose is C6H10O5. Uh, you got me. That was sugar, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Sucrose. Yes. <laughs> Man, I, I just turned over a brain cell from high school chemistry. Wow. I, I don't know where that was hiding. I, I've, been, I've been dealing a lot lately with uh, making uh, fuel alcohol from sugar, and that's why it popped into my head. Um, but 
So what you do is you do biomass gasification and you break down thermally at around 1,200 degrees uh, this organic material and it produces a very quick and readily stream of carbon monoxide, hydrogen, and nitrogen from the air. So instead of a biomass gasifier, I mean a biomass methane digester, it takes about three days to start and it'll run for about three weeks until it depletes its material, making methane and carbon dioxide. A biomass gasifier takes minutes to start up. I mean, you basically light it, turn on your engine and start sucking air through it, or you turn on a blower and start blowing air through it, and it will make a continual stream of hydrogen, carbon, carbon monoxide, and nitrogen from the air, which is sometimes called wood gas or producer gas. You can go to Wikipedia and read about those. Um, and plus, if you want to see it done right now, if you go to solar1234.com, you'll see a link to the biomass wood gas stove. We sell a stove that's a lightweight backpacking stove. We throw in twigs and sticks and everything. You light it and it runs on two AA batteries for like 20 hours. And it will gasify the wood that you put into it and then immediately burn the wood. I mean, burn the gas. It makes for a very clean, very neat flame, but we sell the gasifying wood stove to prove to everyone how simple gasification actually is. It, it sounds very similar to the concept of a rocket stove, where, uh, no, it's not the same thing? Completely different, and we sell a rocket stove. We sell the best rocket stove on the face of the planet uh, on our website as well, and there'll be a link on that at solar1234.com as well. A rocket stove does full combustion, okay? It is actually... And a rocket stove is containing the heat around your fuel, and so your fuel doesn't cool down, and it is drawing in air through the bottom, and it is preheating that air, which is thus making for more efficient combustion, more complete combustion, and then directing that flame upwards directly onto the bottom of a pot. So a rocket stove is actually as opposite of a wood gas stove or a wood gas operation as you could possibly get. If you wanted to run an engine off wood, off of sticks and wood, uh, wood that fall on the ground, off of um, wood chips, etc., you would use this gasification process. In fact, our book that documents it the best is called Hydrogen Gas Generator Volume 3 and 4, which is critical to remember. Volume 3 and 4 is the hands-on how-to book of how to take an engine put a gasifier in front of it, start the engine, and have it gasify the air coming in through the wood to run the engine. And volume three and four is hands-on, step-by-step, exploded diagrams. I mean, the, the bottom of the gasifier is made from a stainless steel salad bowl colander that you drill holes through. I mean, this is all off-the-shelf stuff, parked from Home Depot, literally. So I don't have to be a machinist or have an engineering degree to do this stuff. No welding. You just might, you just might have to cut some sheet metal, bolt some things together, um, cut a little bit of chain, and you, and you hang the colander with the holes below uh, a piece of um, not metal pipe, but metal sheet metal like uh, furnace ducting. And you put that inside of a 33-gallon barrel, and then you put a trash can on top of it with a hole cut in the bottom as your hopper. And uh, 
it, it, it's called the FEMA gasifier, what it's called. And wow. It's detailed in, in the book. So it, it, works very, it works very good. It works very good. I got video of it. If you go to my YouTube channel, and there's a link at solar1234.com, you will find a video of uh, me talking about the book as well as a video in that video of one of my customers who made one of these and sent me the video of it. Awesome. So if you can run a motor on it, you can run a generator on it. And if you can run a generator on it, you can make electricity for your house with it, right? True. Completely true. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, it, that, that we're not doing this is what's unbelievable. Not that it works, that it does work, and it's that simple. And my thought is, well, what if people actually got behind it and started innovating and going further with it? It seems like we could be running our whole country off of what we're throwing away and raking up and and, and filling landfills with. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the history of vehicles running on biogas? Because that's been going on forever, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, over one million vehicles during World War II ran off this biogas, wood gas, slash producer gas, depending on which lexicon you're using. And you might have seen pictures of vehicles with these funny tanks on the front or on the rear of the, of the trunk or something. And this is what people would do because they didn't have gasoline. They would fill up these gasifiers, which consist of, you know, the hot portion, the reactor, and then a bunch of cooling filter and filter material, which was excelsior or straw or grass or, um, you know, various other materials to condense the tires out of it, and then it would run to the engine. Now, the energy is what I call kind of fluffy. It's not dense like gasoline. So your 200-horsepower car might be only getting 75 horsepower out of it, but that's more than enough to move you down the road. In fact, when trucks were run off of these gasifiers and they were loaded, many times they'd have a hard time getting up a hill. And what they would do is they'd switch over the gasoline to go up the hill and then to go down the hill and the rest of their flat driving, they'd turn off the gasoline and just run off of, of, of the biogas. It makes me think of the the, uh, the Dimer motor that's got a big V8, and when you're on the highway, it cuts back to four cylinders. But when you need the acceleration, it's there. But And then I guess the other thing is because we're not trying to be political with this, we're just trying to do what works, having kind of, let's say, a hybrid situation. I mean, we're not, okay, we use some gas maybe here and there for what gas is best for. When I say gas, I mean gasoline, but we also can use this stuff for what what it is, is really appropriate for. And it, what's, what I'm sticking on here is this concept of me being able to generate electricity for my house. Now, do, when I'm doing this, can I build the gas up and store it somehow to use it as needed, or do I have to kind of like use it as soon as it comes out of the chute, so to speak? It's better to use it as it comes out of the chute because you can make it on demand. Storing it requires a compressor, and the best compressor that most of your public are going to be able to get their hands on is a 200 PSI shop compressor. Now, I have, in fact, taken uh, four propane tanks, and I mean the big 100-pound propane tanks, not 100-gallon, but 100-pound propane tanks from Lowe's, and I rigged them together in the back of my pickup truck, and I compressed them up to 200 PSI with wood gas, and I would drive my pickup truck for about 15 miles on this, okay, because I had about the equivalent of one gallon of gasoline stored in those four propane cylinders in the back of the pickup truck. So I, I have done both. If you want to go to a higher pressure, you got to use a high-pressure scuba diver, 
scuba diving compressor, but that alone is $3,000. Then you got to deal with high-pressure tanks, and those cost a couple grand to get the high-pressure tanks. So you're better off using it as you need it. But I have a whole video that does nothing but cover the storage of hydrogen, natural gas, methane, propane, syngas, uh, wood gas, producer gas, biofuel gas in propane tanks, scuba tanks, air tanks, and propane and bladders. Like I have a picture in the video of a bus in China with a great big bladder on top of it, literally half the size of the bus itself. And in China, they would, and, and in England during World War II, they would make the gas that we're talking about, the producer gas, the wood gas, and they would store it in a bladder. And they would put this on top of a vehicle, and the weight of the bladder would cause enough pressure, and plus the engine would suck it out of the bladder as it needed it, and that you could, they would drive for many miles, tens or a hundred miles, just on the bladder of gas. And so my video is called uh, the fuels video slash gaseous fuels. It's actually at ush2edu.com, and there's a link at solar1234.com. That'll send you right to the fuels video. And that's like 95 minutes long, and I cover every gas. So you know the difference between hydrogen, methane, natural gas, carbon monoxide, uh, hydrogen, wood gas, producer gas. Not only do you know the difference, but you know how much you can store in any of the containers I mentioned, and you know how far you can drive if you were in a... Um, Chevrolet Chevette or a Ford pickup truck or a traditional car. It tells you how far you could drive off of each one of those fuels in each one of those containers. So I go into lots of detail. Let, let, let me ask you this so I can just make sure that I'm you know, thinking about these scenarios the right way. Let's say I want to produce electricity for my house, and I'm not going to shut the grid down or anything, but I want to cut my electric bill, and I set one of these things up. It would seem reasonable to me that for some period every day I could go fire this thing up, run a generator off it, use that energy in my home, the same way I would use a generator that would bypass the, the grid in the first place. And uh, and when I'm done with that for the day, I go back to using the grid, and that should work just fine. Yes, that would. And the way you would do that is you would use the FEMA gasifier that is documented in Hydrogen Gas Generator Book, Volume 3 and 4, you would use a 3,000-watt or a 5,000-watt type of Coleman or Honda uh, or Troy-built or whatever, or Generac generator. And your, if you've got a 5,000-watt generator, it would produce about 3,000 watts max because, remember, the gas is not as dense as gasoline. If you wanted 5,000 watts, you'd have to get, like, an 8 or 9 thousand watt generator so remember it derates it a bit but most of the time your house without ac is well less than a kilowatt and with air conditioning could be two or three kilowatts two or three thousand watts so you would then hook up the generator to the fema gas fire the generator as it inhaled it actually pulls air your air intake is before the gasifier it pulls the air through the gasifier Gasifies it with the hot wood material, which wood chips is a great one to use. And um, you can get wood chips from long service places. They'll say, oh, how much do you want to take with you? Just you know, bring drums and bags and take them with you because the waste material that they have to dispose of. 
So it gasifies that, and then it gets drawn into the air intake of the generator along with air, and there's two valves you use, which are fully documented in the book. And you don't need to change timing of the generator or anything because carbon monoxide burns at the same speed as gasoline does. And there's a lot of CO in this gas as well as hydrogen. And it'll just sit there and it'll run. It'll pump, 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 pump. It'll run at the right speed. It'll adjust for its speed and load just like it does on gasoline. And what would it, what, what's the average cost of building one of these things? Let's leave the generator out because that's... Do you want a really good Honda or a cheap, you know, Sportsman's Guide brand, you know? But just building this 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 gas fire in your book, if I go out and buy all the stuff and do it, what's it going to set me back? Anywhere from tens of dollars to a hundred dollars. It depends how much are you going to pay for your thirty. But it's not five grand. No, it's like a thirty-three gallon metal drum. <laughs> it is some uh, sheet metal from Home Depot. Yeah. For the vertical column, it is a stainless steel. So max a max a few hundred bucks. The reason I'm laughing is I'm thinking about all these people that set up these little off grid, um, you know, kind of uh, cabins and stuff like that, and they spend five, ten thousand dollars or more on solar photovoltaic panels that only work when the sun's out, maybe another two grand on a windmill, and they put this big battery bank up. And I'm thinking, not only could they run direct power when they're uh, power, you know, they, they've got their gasifier running with their generator, but they could set up the same battery bank with inverters in their little cabin that they would have for the solar array, forego the solar array, put a couple hundred bucks in this, run the dadgone thing during the day when you're up and about, and you can keep feeding it once in a while, and also at the same time be charging that battery bank, and when the thing shuts down at night, you've got batteries through the night, and probably several days' worth, and it's far more efficient than, the, than, a, than a solar array panel. It's far more cheaper, but the thing is, and you know how much I really don't like solar bubbles. <laughs> You're the first person to say that on the show, by the way, and you've laid out a good case for why. Yeah, I don't like it, but in this advantage, if you're setting up your cabin, your retreat cabin, solar bubble takes don't require you to go cut wood, chip it, load it into the gas fire. Go get it. Right. I mean, you don't have if to I'm sound, surrounded by a hundred acres of, of wood with dead trees laying everywhere, and you know, I mean, it, it's really not that far of a stretch. And I guess again, we don't have to throw babies out with bathwater. We could, we could combine those two. We could throw up, you know, uh, a, a couple panels, maybe five hundred, five hundred watts, a couple two fifties, and then supplement this with generator systems and, and, and wood and, and, and have, you know, I'm big on redundancy, so now I have multiple ways to, to, to skin the cat. Two is one, one is none. Absolutely. You're going to fit in well around here, man. Uh, is this all safe? I mean, I know there's people out there thinking right now, I'm going to start, you know, making gas and storing it or even burning it. I'm going to blow something up. <laughs> well, no, you're really not. You're going to have to work really hard to blow something up. You need to follow standard precautions and safety rules. You don't want air or oxygen to get intermixed into your tank. And, I mean, a, a cylinder of propane, if you shoot it, it doesn't blow up. It leaks propane, and the propane catches on fire. It doesn't explode. The Hindenburg didn't explode. It combusted because the, the gas cells are full of hydrogen. And if you look at it, it didn't go kapow. It just burned. And being painted with thermite didn't help. I mean, <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't painted with thermite. Okay, it was, it was painted with aluminum, and it was painted with uh, lacquer. And both of those are highly combustible on their own. People like to exaggerate the thermite thing, which I hold patents on. 
But, I mean, either way, it it, it didn't go kaboom, it, it burnt. The same thing with a cylinder full of gas. It isn't going to sit there and go kaboom. There's no oxygen in it. There's no air in it. It's just a cylinder full of gas. Now, the thing you got to be careful of is, of course, this is all outdoor stuff. It's all, you know, it's not in your garage. It's outside of the garage. It's not in the house. Because not only is the generator making carbon monoxide through combustion, but your gasifier is expressly making carbon monoxide and hydrogen. And it is real easy to make a whole bunch of CO in an enclosed space, and then you start getting a headache. And, you know, if you can make enough of it, it can kill you. And go to sleep and never wake up. Yeah, I mean, if you take a big enough inhale of carbon, of carbon monoxide, you just fall over. Um, so, no, their safety precautions are covered in the books. And if there's not much that's going to hurt you if you're outside in a well-ventilated area. Because, again, most of the time you're making the gas and it's going right to the generator. You're not storing it, so you're not worried about air getting intermixed into it sure. and, and anything else like that. And you're dealing with things that are hot. And this is a nation where you get sued over a coffee cup. You know, being <laughs> It didn't say hot on the container, yeah, so they didn't know the container. Hot. Yeah, and, yeah it's, uh, so I mean, we're talking about this, this, this in, inside the middle of this reactor. Um, I shouldn't say reactor; that's a fancy word. But I mean, inside of this uh, sheet metal duct and, and cell bowl colander, inside of a 33-gallon drum, it's running at 1,200, 1,400 1,400 degrees Fahrenheit, and the gas coming out can be hot. You gotta cool the gas. You gotta filter. So the don't gas. let stupid people with smart lawyers on your property. Um, that's probably the, big, the biggest safety advice there. And, and don't put it in your house. I mean, well, right. we don't want to be asphyxiated. Let's talk a little bit about the kind that you would store, though, because I know there's a lot of people out there that are interested in the the digestive type of, of gas, the the methane that you'd produce for running, a, let's say, a stove. Okay, the methane, the anaerobic digestion methane method of doing this is so easy. It's covered in uh, two books I have. One book is called Biogas 1 and 2. The other book is called Biogas 3. Biogas 1 and 2, which, again, is on solar1234.com. There's a link to it. The way you do it, you take a 55-gallon drum, you Fill it up full of manure and water, and the more leaves and, and the more leaves and grass you can throw in, the better. And I thought I saw these guys on on like um, uh, YouTube, and one of the things they were doing, they were going to like places where they throw away like old fruit and stuff like that, and they were throwing that in there through a garbage disposal. Oh sure, sure, dead dead animals off of the road, anything you want, <laughs> okay. you throw it in there, okay. And so this is a 55 gallon drum full of the slurry. Then you take. You know, 33-gallon drum fits inside of a 55-gallon drum. Well, you put a hose fitting on the bottom of the 33-gallon drum, and you upend it into the 55-gallon drum until it sinks all the way. And then you close off the valve. And what happens is it starts making gas. The 33-gallon drum rises up within the 55-gallon drum, and the weight of the 33-gallon drum gives you your pressure to force your gas through the hose, that goes to your stove or to your mantle and to your lantern. And as you ask, as you asked me about how do you change things that run from natural gas over to methane-based biogas, yeah, you either drill the holes a little bigger, okay, which I don't recommend you do. Okay, all you, all you do is just up the pressure instead of using. Uh, 
natural gas coming out of your house is generally at four inches of water pressure. You just use a little bit more pressure coming off of your uh, digester, which is basically put a put a brick on top of the. So I, I add weight. So the digester itself creates the storage. Yeah. I use weight to increase pressure. And how would uh, you know Joe Joe Sixpack, who's building one of these things, know what his pressure is? Is there like a gauge? You just get a basic gauge on the and a line that's carrying it over to your. Uh, Manometer. You take a piece of clear plastic tube and you make a U out of it, and you stick it. You, you zip tie it to a yardstick, and you fill it full of water, and you plug it in, and you'll see the inches of displacement of of, of the water. And really, you don't even need to do that. You just plug it in to your stove, and you try to light it. Oh, <laughs> the flame's a little low. Honey, go put another brick on top of the uh, barrel. Okay. okay. And, and then he's like, okay, fine, this is the right level. And you can put a regular valve so, or, or any type of valve in there. So you can turn the pressure up and down by regulating the size of the hole in the valve. And you can sit there. I, and again, there's a video of me doing this uh, on my YouTube channel. And uh, the YouTube channel is linked on solar1234.com. You'll see a little picture of a of a mantle glowing and a, a big blue flame coming out of the pipe. And wow! So you could just set up maybe two or three of these. So you had them in rotation. You're using it as it's going. You could set that up. You could set up your generator, and you could provide a tremendous amount of your own energy from things other people throw away. I wouldn't say a tremendous amount. I'd say a usable amount because you're talking about 95% water, 5% anything else in there, you're making a slurry. It's got to be a nice... I'm talking about combining both both methods. So I'm talking about using the biogas for cooking and then using your wood gasification for energy and, and using those two in combination. You can use them back and forth. Now, the, the, third, the second book I have called Biogas 3 is how the Chinese did it. This book shows you how to dig a hole, I mean a pit, and then you line the pit with bricks um, or clay bricks or mud bricks, and then you uh, put a divider in the middle, and you keep on pouring your biomass or your waste into one side, and your digested fertilizer. What ha- the byproduct of this process is great fertilizer. So your fertil you dump into one side, the fertilizer comes out of the other side, and your gas comes out of the top. So the bigger way of doing it is biogas three the book Biogas 3, and it's how the Chinese did it by digging a great big pit, and then you line the pit with bricks, or you can start off with a 55-gallon drum and a 33-gallon drum, or a 30-gallon drum. Uh, they, they can be plastic. You can do these with, with plastic drums. I mean, this is just, it, to me, it's fascinating, and I kind of want your opinion, in this case, ties back into what we started out talking about your Project Destiny. If the country, I mean, this is all neat stuff we can do at an individual level, and I think it's what we should do now instead of waiting for someone else to do it for us. But at a national level, if we got off our collective butts and made a real consorted effort to use these technologies, how much energy do you think we could create for ourselves as a country? Well, we are already using it on a massive scale. You just don't realize that every landfill is slowly digesting and methane comes off of it. And there, in most landfills, you'll see a flare of gas burning all the time. Or if you don't, then that means they got a set of generators there uh, using that gas to make electricity. 
and all of your wastewater treatment plants make um, methane by this way to self-power themselves. And I was talking with people at Los Angeles who have one of the biggest wastewater treatment plants uh, that's in operation, makes the most methane. I was saying, you know what? If, you, if people in California really wanted to recycle and take their waste food scraps and materials and to turn it into real energy, wouldn't you say all they really need to do is put it into the garbage disposal, grind it up, and flush it down the sewer? He goes, yep, that's about it, because it will go through the pipes that already exist to the wastewater treatment plant, and it will be digested and turned into methane. And the more material they get like that, the more methane they want. So, you know. <laughs> so we've been taught the exact opposite, that we should be responsible for our own solid waste. And we should. So, But if you're tied into a plant that's doing that, effectively every time that apple core goes down there. Now, people like me want to put it in our compost bin because we get a direct result from it, but for, for other people, that's actually helping that. It's actually actually helping it. And people think it's like it's wasteful. It's, it's not wasteful. It's actually contributing to the methane generation at the wastewater treatment plant. There are three things responsible for humans living to an average age of, what is it, 77 today. The first one is clean water, as in uh, drinking water treatment. The second thing is wastewater treatment, so our fecal material does not contaminate us. And the third thing responsible for us living so long is antibiotics. Those are the three things that allow our civilization to begin to exist the way we live in cities. is fresh water, wastewater treatment, and if you do get infected, antibiotics. Sure, because, I mean, I, you know, if you take away those, human beings cannot live at the population densities that we do today. That's right. That's right. And I would be remiss to mention, since this is a survival podcast, I have all of this and more in a completely free, famous, easy, proven family preparedness class. You can go get it for nothing. It's at beforethestormhits.com, just like it sounds, beforethestormhits.com. Link to it is also at solar1234.com. I talk about great ways of doing uh, food storage that you've never thought of before. It's all hands-on. It's all DIY. We make emergency bread in 30 seconds. And uh, I also have a video. Uh, oh, I forgot to tell you. I got this great video called Bread and Gasoline. How many pounds of bread would a bread maker make if a bread maker would make bread off of a generator with one gallon of gasoline? <laughs> and so I took the complete opposite of what you think of what you would do in a preparedness situation. And since we have power, because we make our own power and generate our own power, I said, I want to make bread as easy as I wash clothes. Put stuff in, push a button, come back, and it's done. And uh, I ended up making 32 pounds of bread, 16 two-pound loaves off of one gallon of gasoline. Wow. That, that's pretty cheap. That's pretty good food. And that's pretty, yeah. That's pretty cheap eating. And uh, that video is 98 minutes long. It's called Bread from Gasoline. There's a link at solar1234.com. Wow. But but elements of that stuff is for free, completely for free, in my beforethestormhits.com family preparedness class. So once you're once you're making your own energy, either through methane digestion, biomass gasification, solar photovoltaic panels. I have a video coming out in the future called How to Power Your House from Your Car. Once you've got this set up and you've got a basic amount of electricity, you can then use these automated tools in a disaster that make things for you without you having to do it, like a bread maker. 
or, sure. uh, or a blender, or um, you can use your microwave oven for a few minutes to heat something up. It turns everything that was useless back into being useful again. So I, I, I am going to come back at you with the original question that got us off on this, though, because you know you said we're doing a lot of stuff nationally right now with biogas, like the wastewater treatment plants and all. But clearly, you don't think that's enough. You think we could do more. What what more could we be doing as a society uh, beyond the individual, as you know, to, to, again to create energy independence for us? That's easy. Stop electing the same stupid politicians <laughs> to office. <laughs> Okay, you just went past Paul Wheaton as my favorite guest on the show. I was, I was, as we're getting close to wrapping, I was going to tell you that I've learned more from interviewing you than than any other guest. The only guy that's close was Wheaton, um, and at that point, now you've just become my favorite person. <laughs> Seriously, because I, I say that all the time. Quick, ticking the, the the D or the R box. Let's bring some new people in here to fix this crap and, and stop being stupid. Um, but if we had the right people in and they were going to listen to you and you said, here's some initiatives we can take, what would be some things you would suggest? As a country, as a whole, boy, uh, Project Destiny comes to mind, but uh, what can be done in your local area is, um, I mean, I have books on every type of energy you can think of, and basically you can pick the flavor that you want and you can do it yourself to make your own energy, and then you become a demonstrator to your community. And this is a fabulous community. You're running your own community here. Okay? Absolutely. You become a demonstrator to this com this community, and you let other people repeat it, and someone says, hey, I got enough of this waste. You know, I, in my book, Sunshine of Dollars, I have a, a page called Wait Why Waste is Good. I mean, Every new business that starts has been basically started off a waste stream. When someone has too much of something, they don't know what to do with it. You then create, you then use it and generally turns into business. Like you have a buddy who's in the landscape business and all he's doing is chipping trees all day and the city is giving him a hard time because his piles of wood chips are rotting and you're going, I have the ability to take those and to turn those into electricity. And I'm going to then take those electricity, that electricity, I'm going to sell it back to the grid. Or I'm going to set it up next to the business and sell it to the business to do peak shaving. So do you think a, a what's what's the word I'm looking for, a, um, God, like a, de no, I won't say deconstructed, but that's not the, the, what I'm, the word I'm looking for. But a decentralized model then is the best way to do this. As many independents as possible, generating power and then either selling it or using it or providing it. Yeah, in fact, it, it's called, um, there is um, a word for it. It's, um, not geez, he got me off on a tangent. Again, uh, uh, it's local generational power. Okay. The way we're, we're going to be going away from, the way we're going to be supplementing the larger baseload plants, like the nuclear and the coal plants, with smaller uh, power generation uh, that's off of natural gas, that's off of, methane gas, it's off of landfill gas. That's being done now, but you're going to see more and more local generation of power set up in different areas to supplement the grid and the larger generation of this. And you can buy 100, mega, 100 kilowatt generating uh, plants uh, that will go on the back of a tractor trailer semi. You can buy those on the used market. And uh, you can generate a heck of an amount of electricity and actually get into the energy business if you got that waste stream of energy 
that you can just pick up for nothing for the price of hauling, hauling it away. So, uh, you know, first take care of yourself and take care of your family, and, and then you can begin to start up, go off and conquer the world and change the world. But take care of yourself first, learn about it first, do it yourself first, and then take it in baby steps, and it will self-fund its way into its own business on, on its own. Well, folks, I think we've just found a new friend of the community in uh, Mr. Stephen Harris, and I, I can't highly enough endorse his books. I don't know I'm going to pick them all up myself um, because there's so much knowledge there that I just need to obtain, as, as Steve was saying, for myself, for my own homestead, for what I'm doing here as a business person uh, in the Hot Springs community. So, uh Stephen, man, thank you so much. This has been one of the best interviews I've ever done. That's a pleasure, and I have a very serious personal commitment to civil defense, homeland security, personal preparedness, personal survival, and I will be happy to come back anytime and to speak at length on any of the subjects you and your listeners could want, from my flavor of uh, family preparedness that I teach all the way up to energy generation, solar, any field of energy you want to speak to, uh, to your community, I'm happy to come in and to give the expertise freely away to everyone so it helps them. And again, all the show notes and the stuff that we talked about will be at solar1234.com. And of course, as always, uh, at the survivalpodcast.com and the show notes for today's episode, I'll have a link to that site and to all of uh, Stephen's sites. And you guys can get in there and post comments and ask questions. And that'll probably will be what leads to your next appearance, Steve, is, uh, as the community says, well, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I go, I don't know. Let me get him back on. So, uh, I, I think you'll be demanded a return trip by the audience, and I always give in to the audience's demands because, let's face it, they're little folks that pay the bills around here. So, uh, man, again, thank you, and uh, I really appreciate the work you're doing uh, to help empower people. Well, let's get that list of questions. Let's find out what people want to know, and I'll come back and we'll answer them all. We'll get them all answered, and then we'll get another list of questions, and we'll get them all taken care of and sent off in the right direction. Awesome, awesome. Well, with that, I'm going to wrap up, folks. Today, this has been Jack Spierko, along with Stephen Harris, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Someday
Revolution.